Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay, and I'm delighted to be joined by Tyrone Marshall. Hello. And by Samuel Luckhurst. Hello, and we're delighted to have you back. Thank yes, you very much. welcome it's, back. It's a real treat to be back. Quiet in the office without your uh, irrelevant banter. I'll take that as a, <laughs> as a compliment. I'm not sure it was intended, but, uh, but we will take that. Uh, Missed your hot takes, Rich. Controversial takes. Yes, there's been a few yeah. already this morning. You've yeah. only been back a couple of hours. You're straight back in where you left off. Wales did deserve to beat Croatia. I'm not having anything <laughs> other than that from someone. I'm not, okay. But that's by the by anyway. Daniel James played well as well in that game again. Yeah, streetwise. Mm. Streetwise Daniel James. James. Concussed, whatever he did. He might be streetwise (laughs) again this weekend. But uh, you two have had the pleasure of a morning in Carrington, a nice chilly one. Uh, Solskjaer's press. We'll start with you, Samuel. You were doing the the book a bit, bit, the start bit. Um, I guess the top line was team news. We've already had some earlier this week. De Gea and Pogba uh, both ruled out. And then today he said... Some players could be back. De Gea wasn't quite as bad as it was first suggested. Tyron, you said before that Klopp had spoken about United's injuries, saying that yesterday it was ruled out. Today it's there's a chance. I think he said yesterday they were ruled out. Today it's less certain. Tomorrow there's going to be a chance or something like that, suggesting there's there's mind games at play here. Yeah, the, the good news for Klopp obviously is that he can read the Manchester Evening News on Saturday night and see exactly who is in the squad when they arrive at the yeah. Bowery. Uh, he, I think Pogba is is definitely out. I mean, he's is he even back in the country yet. I mean, even if he is, he's not trained. He's not probably kicked a football for over two weeks. Goodness knows how long. So I think it's pretty you know, certain that he's out. Um, I still don't think De Gea will play. Uh, that said, wouldn't be surprised if he does rock up. They haven't got any choice but to start Marshall. I think it's got to that point now. Um, speaking to one of the photographers who um, braves Carrington most mornings, he says you can tell when Marshall's fit, and that you know he, he he's he says he says there's the risk of actually reading too much into his pictures, but when he's injured, he does look miserable as sin. When he's fit, he's actually smiling and happy, and they've found that to be a pattern over the years. So, obviously, if he's out this weekend, then it's complete nonsense, and I will never mention that again. But I, I just think that, given the, the, the circumstances, Marshall does have to play. If Wambasaka doesn't come back in, having had Tom Slytus, you wonder what the hell's going on there. Luke Shaw is Luke Shaw, as Phil Jones is Phil Jones. Uh, when it comes to injuries, they're both very brittle and. It wouldn't be a surprise if, if Shaw's still not back and he's, he's been out for a long, long time now as well. Yeah, we'll get on to your, maybe your preferred team selection in the second half of the podcast, but uh, Romero and Golfie, would it be, Tyrone, in that instance? I mean, the thought of Adrian versus Lee Grant would have been good, but it <laughs> yeah. looks like Alisson's back for Liverpool and yes. uh, Romero would probably be in Golfie United. Well. Yeah, I think if there's probably one area uh, Solskjaer can afford an injury, it's probably in Gold Romero's up there with the best number twos in the league, probably the best number twos in Europe. He's, he's played in World Cup final, so I don't think there's any concern about throwing him in if De Gea 
doesn't make it. And, you know, let's not forget De Gea hasn't been at his best. Um, he's been a lot better this season since he signed his new contract, but he wasn't at his best towards the back half of last season. Um, so I don't think there'll be any concerns over playing Romero. I actually thought it was strange Romero didn't play at Alkmaar a few weeks ago in the Europa League. Do you remember which dull Dutch side? Did, <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah, I was just ticking them off in my head then. Dem 20. Bosch. No, <laughs> FC 20. No. We got there in the end. Yeah. Oh, I've forgotten it again now. AZ. Yeah, I thought it was strange he didn't play in that one, considering you think he'd play in most of the Europa League games this this season. Um, so if De Gea doesn't make it, then I don't think there'd be any concerns about throwing Romero in. He's, he's a very experienced goalkeeper. Yeah, we'll wait and see on Sunday more about that as well. Uh, I saw some fans on Twitter weren't very happy with Sasha. Today said he's a bit too defensive, and I guess maybe naive. He's so positive again today. He seemed to forget it's the worst starting that I've had in 30 years. Worse than they were this time last season. They're 12th in the Premier League, 15 points off Liverpool. And yet he says there are improvements that have been made. What did you make of his comments today, Samuel? Because it just seems like a broken record every week and like he's oblivious to the burning house around him. He has that knack that other United managers <clears throat> since Ferguson, apart from David Moyes, have had the, at the start of the press conferences, uh, they're chiming with the fans, they're hitting all the right notes, and then towards the end of their reign, you you post any comment that they've said in the press conference, and it's just going to wind up supporters to to high heaven. And that is happening with Solskjaer now. He's he's not chiming with supporters, which is is pretty peculiar. Not not because of how bad, <clears throat> excuse me, how badly United have been. But the fact that he, he played for the club for such a long time and he pretty much was a fan before he um, before he got the manager's role. He said that again today, didn't he? Again, when he spoke at the Liverpool fixture, he said, they can write their names in history, like I did. It's yeah. harking back to the past again. It doesn't matter what happened. We've not had much years. of that recently either. Mm-hmm. There's the, you know, he couldn't stop mentioning Fergie in his first few press the gaffer, conferences. The gaffer, called. The gaffer <laughs> yeah, the 90s. That was the great uh, thing, I think... In Altmar, when he said we're not in the 90s anymore, yeah. and then at the weekend it was on MUTV Ole on 1999, which was obviously recorded a few months ago. But it's like you know, the, the History Channel punchline <laughs> that used to be the Liverpool joke, now it is the United joke. Uh, but that's, I suppose, he has to play it in a certain way. I mean, it, it does echo what a lot of people, most people at the club, are saying in that. They do. They genuinely do think they're heading in the right direction. You know, as certifiable as it sounds, that they're of that opinion. They think the recruitment they've they've nailed. They think they've got that right. Um, I think a lot of people would say you can't get it right if you don't sign a striker or a midfielder when it's obvious that you needed those in the summer. Hundred um, percent behind Solskjaer. All these sound bites and what have you. Uh, but there has to, you know, it, it has to come to a head at some point unless they managed to arrest this slump and I, d- I don't actually think they'll get tonked this weekend. I don't, I'd be amazed if anyone out there actually thinks they'll, they'll win, but it's, it's a really, really tricky period coming up in that you've got the best team in certainly in England, European champions coming on Sunday and then it's four away games on the spin. And although on paper, you look at those teams, they're not you know too difficult coming up against apart from, Chelsea, this is it doesn't work like that way with United anymore. I mean, you could easily see them losing at Norwich. You could easily see them losing at Bournemouth. At Bournemouth first half last season away from home, it's one of the worst forty-five minutes of sin from United side. Yet somehow they got in at half time, one-one. Um, 
so how how far that positivity goes remains to be seen. I think the, the, the counterpoint from the club is that, well, you know, Jose went in completely opposite direction and was throwing people under the bus and look how that ended up. But as I've said before, I think Solskjaer has just gone too extreme in the opposite direction when th- there's some easy middle ground there where you can empathise with the supporters and be realistic rather than just saying how wonderful and brilliant everything is when it clearly isn't since they could end up in the relegation zone after these these next round of matches yeah Ty do you have anything sympathy with Solskjaer on those comments do you think there have been genuine improvements I know there's a lot of talk today he was asked uh, if injuries have played a big part he didn't really mm. want to be too pressed on that and say we're struggling only because of injuries but mm. United have been quite unfortunate with the injuries they've missed some penalties as well that could have easily had them higher up in the table. You know, the momentum builds if you start winning these games and you're not having these drastic defeats. So do you think United have actually improved since last season? Or I think they've improved defensively. Um, I think we've seen that evidence before our eyes. One of the best defences in the league now. Um, so, I, you know, I think they've definitely improved defensively. I think the other... I mean, teams are going to suffer with injuries. United have suffered with a lot. But I think a lot of this is also their own doing in a way you know Soscar is still not happy enough with the fitness he's still working them hard but do you not think he's to blame for rushing people like Paul Pogba back for a meaningless League Cup game which has now ruled him out of one of the biggest games of the season yeah quite probably and I think he rushed players back last season as well he, he flogged the players in Dubai in January last year and then they all started getting muscle injuries and it's happened again and there's a sense it was Liverpool at home last time wasn't it when it was when like three, three went down yeah I think matches went down on the eve of the game and then three in the first yeah. half wasn't Rashford, it Rashford was the first one they went down but had to play the, full, play 90. the full 90 yeah, yeah it was, Lingard came on then yeah. went back, back off, off. Yeah. yeah it was it was bizarre embarrassing and that was like an episode of casualty um, but yeah it, it's still happening and I think that, speaking to Solskjaer in, in Alkmaar when Jesse Lingard picked up his, his injury he seemed to hint that there was an acceptance that they were going to keep getting injuries until the players were fit enough but they haven't got a big enough squad to cope with that. So, it, you know, in that, if that's the case and that's what's happening, then no, I haven't really got sympathy with them on that regard because it sounds like it's a necessary evil to get the fitness up. But unless you get results, he's not going to be the manager to, to benefit from that. And the penalties thing, I mean, teams miss penalties. The team that wins the league will miss penalties. The team that gets relegated will miss penalties. You know, miss penalties are a, a fact of football. So if every, te- if every team said, oh, well, we missed this penalty, we could have an extra X points, then you know, we'd, we'd be in complete chaos. So, you know, missing penalties is just part and parcel of football. Well, United have had more penalties against Liverpool than any other team they face in the Premier League. So maybe they'll have that. It's 10. They've had 145 penalties in the Premier League. <laughs> Street, you, don't, you don't want me to name all of them, do you? Oh, God. <laughs> that's, that's the teaser. You've got to do it in chronological order as well and tell me exactly where they went in the net. Uh, Samuel, also at the presser today, uh, Solskjaer was once again pressed on the sort of summer uh, decisions he made and he was asked to, again if, he, if it was the right decision to let so many players go when only three came in uh, what did you make of that you've already hinted that it was so obviously they needed a new centre foot forward and a new central midfielder but Solskjaer again defended his decision do you think he was right to have such an overhaul in the summer or do you think he's paying the price now again completely understandable why Lukaku went Lukaku didn't want to be there okay Solskjaer marginalised him so he kind of you know pushed him uh, in, in that direction but Lukaku agitated and you know he, he, he just abandoned all professionalism at the end to ensure that he, he forced that through that move I think they're right to you know, cut the cord on Sanchez as well unfortunately for them I think this time next year he'll probably be a contracted United player 
Um, given the he's had another injury I, I, and he wasn't really starting for Inter either I think he only made one league start for them but of course they, they knew I mean Solskjaer decided many many months ago that he wanted to get rid of Sanchez they probably well they knew in early April that Herrera was definitely going they certainly would have known probably around the same time that Lukaku wanted to go as well and the irony is when they appointed Solskjaer permanently in, uh, when was it, March 28th, one of the uh, reasons given was like sooner the better and also transfers as well. And the, the phrase that was given that was that they could supercharge the transfer plans. Um, you know, I think the charge is still going very, very slowly on that one, given that they didn't sign enough players in the summer. And they've taken a bit of a kick in over that. So at the moment they're trying to get their message across about how brilliant their recruitment has become suddenly. And they feel as though they've nailed that when in, in recent years, it just hasn't been up to scratch. And there've been different factors, um, different managers as well. There's, there's an awful lot of mitigation there. Um, but when we were, we were asking recently about why they didn't, um, why they didn't sign a striker and there were, I think there were th- they said that there were three strikers they looked at and I assume those strikers were Dybala, Mandzukic and possibly Dembele at Lyon and the answer we got back was as to why they didn't sign any of them was we don't remember which is really handy because I think you could probably <laughs> look at one of the or, or what we all wrote when the Dybala deal uh, didn't go through as to why that was and it was because of wages and the brother getting involved and what have you but to just just to, you know have that outlook on things it was, was a little bit peculiar and given that that comes at a time where they're saying how great their recruitment is um, it's it's still not a great look and I, th- I think this is going to be a, a source of regret this time next month, this time in two months, uh, until we get up to January when they can try and address the situation. Talk about things which aren't necessarily a, a great look. Uh, the Paul Pogba picture, Tyrone, he was pictured <laughs> by the Daily Mirror, uh, talking with Zinedine Zidane in Dubai, just by the poolside. Quite a nice way to spend your international break while you're on crutches. Uh, yeah, that or Japan would be fantastic, yeah, wouldn't it? It would be nice, yeah. I know which one I'd rather pick anyway, but... Uh, <laughs> When we uh, when Sosha was asked today, he sort of downplayed it and didn't really want to get involved in it too much. He said mm. He's not really concerned by it, but uh, it's not a good look for Pogba, is it? But is it just one of those things where it's innocent? Because footballers talk to each other all the time. Managers and players speak. It doesn't mean there's got to be anything with it, but I guess because the subject is Paul Pogba, as yeah. he dance so openly admires him, it adds another layer to the whole story. It does, yeah. I mean, it's not ideal given what happened in the summer and the fact that there was an obvious flirtation going on there. Um, you know, Zidane made it pretty obvious he wanted Pogba and Pogba initially made it pretty obvious he wanted to go. So it's not a great look, but I doubt they were the only two footballers or footballing personalities on holiday in Dubai over the last two weeks. The footballers are going to bump into each other in Dubai, left, right and centre. Um yeah. I, I mean, it's not, it's not ideal. It's not a good look. And perhaps something in Pogba's head should have twigged. I shouldn't be doing this. But at the same time, he will know Zidane. So he will know to speak with him. And if he's gone to speak with him, does it matter if they have a photo together? I mean, he's not going to ignore him and not speak to him. So does it then matter if they're, they're snapped together? I know the fans are going to react probably angrily to it and it's not a great look, but um, I'm not sure it's as... It, <laughs> 
I'm not sure it's the worst thing that's that's happened to United this season. Anyway, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty low on the agenda, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, Samuel, you asked him about it there as well. Yeah, I was quite conscious of framing it in a way so I wouldn't get you know kicking from yeah. the Pogba fanatics on on Twitter or anything like that. Not that I really listen to them, but yeah, I, as I think I said, like you know, footballers get photographed together all the time. Like that part of it is kind of I just use that as a frame to the question. Um, in that he'd said a few weeks ago, what's the point keeping players who don't want to be here? And he was referring to Lukaku. And at the time, I think that's that's when the that was his last answer. The press conference wrapped up, and you're thinking, well, Pogba doesn't want to be there. And that's that's kind of like why I said that. And he said, oh, he's never he never said that. Well, <laughs> Pogba wants to be. He has. Yeah. He has. And his agent he also said it as well. There's only so much you can indulge Paul Pogba and defend him. I think people higher up at the club are a little bit more philosophical about um, about Pogba and they're, they're where you know they've, they they saw what he said in the summer and sooner or later there's going to have to be a decision made there um, on, as to when when he's sold because if he's got any principles about him unless United become a major force again over the next year or so then he's going to want to leave. Yeah, uh, one player, one person who won't be leaving, he says anyway. Solskjaer said that he's got Woodward's full backing today, uh, mm. and that there's already plans ahead, not just for January but for next summer as well. And what do you? I mean, he's going to obviously say that Solskjaer he's never going to put his own position in jeopardy. But no. do you think he is pretty safe at the moment, United, despite the uh, the poor start to the season? I wouldn't say he was pretty safe necessarily. Um, I think there's this run of five games has got real jeopardy for him I think um, I mean it could change quickly if they somehow get a result on Sunday then it buys him a fair amount of time but if they if they lose on Sunday and I'm with Samuel I don't think they'll get hammered by any stretch of the imagination it wouldn't surprise me if they even managed to get a draw out of it um, if they do lose then I think this run of four successive away games given their recent away form has real jeopardy um, I mean Belgrade and in the Europa League and Chelsea in the League Cup are less important but it's not going to be a great look I mean losing to Belgrade would throw the group wide open really a group they're expected to qualify from pretty easily um, but the Norwich and Bournemouth games I mean those are two games that really look quite tricky I mean we've seen Is there any game that doesn't look tricky? Well no fair one fair one um, you know with that away record if they don't win in Belgrade and they go into Norwich less than 72 hours later having not won away in 12 away games having lost at Liverpool potentially in the relegation zone by that point and we've seen what Norwich did to City earlier in the season All right, they've been thrashed at home by Villa as well but that's going to be a huge test and I think it's those those games and that game at Bournemouth that, that could be his undoing I, I think if you know if we sat here in after five games and they've not won away in 15 games mm-hmm. I think it's going to be hard to see a scenario where he's still in that job. Um, you know, he is incredibly positive about what's going on behind the scenes and what he's seen on the training ground and things like that. But unless they start winning games, then he's not going to be the manager to, to benefit from it. The, the club can have all the patience they like, but the, there is going to be an acceptance very soon if things, if the results continue, that he's going to be under a lot of pressure. I don't think there's a time frame on no, no. on when he'd be sacked. I also don't think that he's got the whole season, regardless, you know, you just play it by ear. I don't think that um, 
say they were bottom at Christmas, I wouldn't expect him to be in charge. They're not just going to carry on regardless like that. There's going to, if it is that bad or if it's, if it's uh, the, the example I always go to is Mourinho's last season at Chelsea when they're 16th, was it? Just, yeah, yeah. just, just before Christmas. If United are in that position, then I think he's probably a goner. I don't think he's completely bulletproof. And then they sit down at May and decide, okay, look, this is how it, it's gone. You've got to go. So I think that's pretty sensible. There's no point someone coming out there, going out there and saying he's got the whole season, no matter what, because it's it's just going to rile fans and it's just a bad way of going about things as well. Um, they have changed, you know, they've changed their approach there um, quite drastically in that they sat Mourinho last year when Champions League qualification was still possible. That was previously the... Um, the benchmark to, to get sacked by uh, if you're a United manager. So he is, he is in jeopardy uh, despite how positive they're sounding. But while he is still in post, they can't say anything other than we are 100% behind the manager, but there will be a point where they have, they are behind the manager and they've got a knife to plunge into his back because he's not up to it anymore. Well, whatever happens, Edward would insist it will be the football figures at United who will make the decisions he spoke this week he said it's an insult and a myth to think that non-football figures make the big decisions at the club what, what do you make of those comments as someone said at Carrington today if the way you could read that is that he's saying it's an insult to say I'm at fault for the crap recruitment at this club blame those guys over there who are the real football figures Woodward's role has changed slightly in that they're all adamant at the club all the relevant people you speak to in that he has nothing to do with recruitment anymore. Whereas previously he was the guy who got on a plane to Spain to see if Neymar wanted to join United in, in 2015 and dealt with Raiola, dealt with Mendes. Um, Matt Judge is the head of corporate development who goes out there, touches base with agents, gauges whether a player wants to come to United and is negotiating the deals. So Woodward's taken a back seat. I think that's been reflected in the investors' calls when he just talks about football now. He doesn't talk about the commercial side. I think from his perspective, he would probably, in an ideal scenario, he'd like a David Gill-style role where you're, you're quite comfortable and you've got some, you've got the right people um, in the right positions to to take care of the football matters and you just oversee it and you sign off the deals when they're, they're set up. So... <laughs> As, as I said, even though he's, even though that minor role change has occurred, he's still the common denominator in six years of and largely fans a failure. As well. the fan, yeah, the fans. He might have had within the club a different role change, but the fans still see him as the man responsible. He they? is. He is the. He's the chief executive. He's the. He's the kingmaker there. He is the man who chooses the manager. There, there, there isn't a process there. They've not got a recruitment department that lined up to go out there and see what what or who should their next manager be um, they're overseeing you know the transfer side of things he's the one who thinks yeah he's he's, he's the manager for me um, that's been the case since he, he settled on Louis van Gaal obviously everyone knows that Ferguson chose Moyes and that was the very moment where because it went so badly wrong that you realised there was just there was a non-existent football structure there because the owners, the chief executive, all of them, they just deferred to the genius manager and, and his opinion as to who should be the next United manager. 
which was wrong for a number of reasons because it shouldn't be the manager making that decision. And also it was such a such an obviously wrong decision and quite a quite a blinkered one as well. You know, going from cut cut from the same cloth. That was literally on the website when yeah. they announced Moyes. And they've they've been playing catch up ever since and there's still the, the structure still isn't right. But a lot but most of the people at the club think it's working, think it is right, and that's why Woodward's launched this quite impassioned defence of it. Well, he might have more support for his defence if United do get a result this weekend. The second half, we will talk about the Liverpool game, but before then, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to leave you two with a teaser question. This weekend, sees United take on Liverpool, and it's the first time in a long time that Liverpool have faced United as league leaders in the Premier League. What I want to know is, when was the last time Liverpool played United as the top team in the Premier League? When was it? And what was the score? We'll be back after this short break. Hello and welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. Just before the break, I left Samuel and Tyrone with a teaser question. When was the last time Liverpool faced United as Premier League leaders? When was it? What was the score? I'm going to... It's quite an open question. We're going to let you just maybe hazard a guess first. Tarry, when do you think it was the last time Liverpool played United as league leaders? I'm guessing it's a long time ago. Obviously, they came close to winning it in Moyes' season, didn't they? When they slipped up towards the end of the, the season and they won 3 0 at Old Trafford fairly late on in the season, wasn't it? But I'm guessing they weren't. Top. Was that the Gerard penalties? Yes. Yeah, got that, was, that, was in, that was in March. In March. I remember that day well because I was going to Snowdonia to an art gallery and was listening to it on the radio. Good so times. hipster. <laughs> Good so times. hipster. Um, so I'm guessing they weren't top at that point of the season then. No. In that case. Um... Before we got on air, I did say that if someone's going to get the question, it's not going to be you, Tyrone. So it was never going to be that easy. This is true. Some of you 0102? No. Uh, but closer than Tyrone's guess. 0203? No. <laughs> You're getting colder. 96? Correct. Yeah. Uh, David Beckham, winner. October 1996, 1-0 United, David Beckham in the, which minute? I don't know that. <laughs> it was in the first half. 22nd minute, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer played 80 minutes that day, if uh, my quick Google created, Yeah, I think he created the goal. But yeah, that's the story. <laughs> that, was, that was the teaser. So yeah, that, 20, is, that is a very long time. 23 years. A long time ago. Uh, what were you doing for that one? Can you remember, Rich? Well, I would have been just celebrating my second birthday. So that's going to make lots of the listeners feel very old, probably. <laughs> it's going to make people sat yeah. in this room very I'm old. Sure, really. What was I doing when I was two? Probably watching Thomas the Tank. Probably not that night, though. But who knows? I will try and find out. I'll ask my mum. And yeah, get back text to you. your mum yeah. so if she can remember. I'll get back to you for next week. But uh, the Liverpool preview, Ty, we've already spoken about it. It's going to maybe... I guess the feeling is going into the game. If United does get anything... It's going to be maybe a day where Liverpool have an off day of the United playing particularly well. But you both mentioned already you can't see United getting thrashed. I know John Barnes said today that Liverpool could destroy United if they play naively. But uh, what do you think? You've said that you think it will be tighter. Yeah, I don't. Liverpool haven't destroyed United for a while, really, um, and they've they've had chances in recent seasons as well. I mean, the fixture at Old Trafford back in at the end of February. 
yeah. I think, wasn't it? It was, um, it was an ideal chance with all those injuries and they were second best throughout that day, really. So I, I don't think, um, I just can't see it being a thrashing. There was an interesting stat the other day, actually, that Liverpool's front three have only scored once against... United in 16 or 17 combined yeah, I appearances. That, I think, think that Mane goal Mane yeah, in last, the season. Game last season. I saw that uh, United are the team that Salah's faced the most in England. Not scored against. Right, okay. Which is- yes, I think the stats or the evidence points up to a thrashing not happening. Um, I still think Liverpool will approach this game with a lot of respect, as Arsenal did coming to Old Trafford a few weeks ago. There's, Although United are clearly having problems and look vulnerable, there's still that element of it's United away at Old Trafford. And I think that's, you know, for a club like Liverpool, that's probably quite hard to shake that it is one of their biggest games of the season. Say that to Virgil van Dijk. He said today that it's not one of the biggest games of the season. It's just like any Champions League match. Which, on a par. So I guess the same as Red Bull Salzburg. Well, yeah, but I, I'm guessing by that token that Burnley away isn't like a Champions League match. So therefore it is one of their biggest games of the season. Unless every Premier League game is like every Champions League match. I think he said that in terms of Premier League, it's only games when you can, which, which are going to decide the title. He said that this one, it's just another game. But oh, He's lying, isn't he? Let's yeah. be honest, he's yes. lying. Let's see yes. that when he heads in the fourth goal. Let's <laughs> see how he celebrates that. So yeah, I, I think, and there's, there's almost an element of, I mean, car, not, cars falling into place for United in a way that it's almost becoming a free hit. They've had so many injury problems. You see De Gea get injured on, on international duty. And it, it could almost create this sort of siege mentality, this back to the wall mentality. Which it was against Leicester as well, didn't it? Because that it was did, a game yeah, and it worked. It worked a little bit against Liverpool in February when they had three injuries in the first half, and it, it almost galvanised the players into performing better in the second half. So there's certainly an element that that could happen. I mean, it would go against the evidence of our eyes of recent United performances, but you never know. Um, but yeah, I, I think it will be a, a close game. I think United will be in the game for a long time, and as I say, it. it wouldn't surprise me if they got a draw out of it. Yes, Samuel, I mean, I guess the whole point we try and make is United's best performances under Solskjaer have always come against the odds playing on the counter-attack and that's exactly what they've got to do this weekend and people like Rashford, Marshall, James on the break, they have got pace which could exploit the high-playing high fullbacks. So how would you approach the game though? Because it, it's a home game. I know Solskjaer was asked at the press conference as well uh, about the Moyes comments when he said United yeah. got underdogs for the game. Yeah. He was asked if that was a reality and he, he sort of said, yeah, he just, he just responded yeah. rather than answered. But whether you like it or not, United are the underdogs going to this game. Any sort of betting stats will tell you that. But how would you approach the game if you were United manager? Uh, they, they do need to go on the front foot um, just to try and rip Liverpool out of their comfort zone. It, it really wouldn't surprise me if the game develops like the derby in April in that United seemed to exceed expectations in that first half. They got at City... And that was three days after the the, the absolute embarrassment at Everton, that 4-0 defeat. And it was 0-0 at half-time. They'd done reasonably well. But of course, in the second half, City go up a gear, score quite quickly, score again quite quickly. And and then the rest of the game was a procession and United weren't fit enough. Solskjaer said they're not fit enough. I think come the end of the game, or certainly in the dynamics of the game on Sunday, I'd be amazed if, you know, it's it's the Alamo at Liverpool's end. Um, if if it's a tight game and United are in and, and United are in need of a, of a goal, I I don't you just don't see them getting to that stage now. Even the Southampton game in August, they had a man advantage and they had all the ball. They weren't creating enough 
clear-cut chances. The ball was going in all the time and nobody was there on the end of it. So uh, Liverpool have got just, you know, they're, they're superior in just about every department. Uh, I don't think there's a single one area of their squad that you'd say United are better off there. Um, there, there are players who, United who would enhance Liverpool, but the bigger picture is Liverpool are just superior just about everywhere. That said, I really wouldn't be surprised if United get a draw because their mentality is now that small time and that it's kind of like relegation fodder, a little bit like Newcastle. And that I, I certainly thought after Newcastle got tonked 5 0 by Leicester, they'd get a decent reaction against United. And then you see that United squad that travels up to them at that point. I thought United aren't, aren't going to win this. And then Newcastle took the game to them. The, Longstaff brothers uh, performed really well and they, they got a very, very spirited and a, a really deserved win. Um, but I suppose the mitigation there is that Newcastle playing against a terrible United side. United are playing against the best team in the country at the moment. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if United get a draw. And if they do, that has to be seen as a positive because Liverpool are on this exceptional winning run. United are absolutely awful. Um, they, I think, well, it was last year they brought out the, the film Too Good to Go Down. Like there could be a sequel coming, <laughs> coming sometime yeah. soon. Uh, so uh, yeah, if they get a draw as a small time as it sounds for United, then it's it's a positive. Yeah, uh, You both said that a draw is maybe possible, Tyrone. Are you saying there's no way United will win though? Or, or what oh, say? Because... It seems that a lot would have to happen for United to win. Liverpool would have to have such an off day. Yeah. It, even if United score, can you really see them keeping a clean sheet? Yeah, I think I can see them keeping a clean sheet. Um, they've been good defensively, or better defensively, this season. It's undoubtedly the strongest suit for United. Um, I mean, Liverpool have... I don't think Liverpool have been in great form before the international break. I think they've started to become a little bit of a... A nervy element to their wins. You look Sheffield United. Sheffield United, they were poor. Leicester, Leicester they needed a you know a very dubious, dubious injury time penalty to get the win. So they've not been blowing teams off the park, which kind of adds to this this myth about that they get the United might get thrashed. Well, it would require a significant improvement from Liverpool for that to happen. So if Liverpool play like they do in those games, I don't I wouldn't rule out a United win. I mean there's there's been bigger shocks in football than United beating Liverpool at Old Trafford, whatever state they're in. And this rivalry has always had a habit of the team that's down on their haunches, mm. you know, finding a, a knockout blow on, on one-off days. So I wouldn't, I mean, yeah, it would obviously be a surprise. And I think we'd all sit here and say United aren't going to win. But at the same time, if we sat here on Monday discussing the game and they have won, you know, I, I don't think it would be the, the biggest surprise in, in this season's Premier League. When Kenny Dalglish was back for his wherever it was 18 months spell as manager at Liverpool they had three home games against United 1-2 and the one they drew they they should have won and that was a terrible terrible Liverpool team there was lots of manager living off the past as yeah, well so. yeah all, all burnt well <laughs> all burnt well so you've heard it here first United yeah. beating Liverpool and in the 80s and 70s United had a decent record against Liverpool because they were inferior and they'd get up for it and Liverpool, I think, certainly between 2008 to 2012, um, United were terrible at Anfield. They had a really, really bad run there where Ferguson, for some reason, always kept on playing Didn't Carrick Maxi and Scholes. Rodriguez score a hat Dirk Couch scored a hat-trick. Did Maxi Rodriguez score two, maybe, or something? No, I don't think so. But Couch scored a hat-trick, and I think the distance of all three goals combined was about two yards. They were all literally... 
near enough on the goal line. One of them was when Nani, never never the greatest in the air, as, as you would say, decided to head the ball back towards his own goal and then Kelt was just there to <laughs> tap it in. Good times, yeah. good times. So yeah, final question for you both. We've spoken about the interviews <clears> before, but but who would you pick? I guess maybe the biggest decision would be that midfield, especially with Pogba missing. Yeah, I think midfield's problematic. Um, I wrote a piece last week and it was the international break, so I was just searching for any old ideas. But the more I thought about it, the more I think I might actually be right. Um, and it, perhaps, I mean, the problem is, I don't think anyone deserves to start next to McTominay in that midfield. No, for that's what I've that. said as well. But someone has to. I mean, you can't just play 10 and say, sorry, lads, you've not done enough to match and Fred. No, that would be they might, they might actually get better for it. Um, so, I mean, I... I You're sticking to the 4 3 3. I think so, yeah. I, I know. Four, I think Solskjaer said after the. 4 3 3 now, aren't we? It's so more of a 4 2 3 1 at times. He said at Newcastle, we've got to decide whether we need to go on with this system and do the same yeah. things. Like, he kind of hinted at the Newcastle that he had a plan for Liverpool, didn't he? I just hope that's not a back three. <laughs> yeah. Because playing a back three against Liverpool seems suicidal. Three, it seems suicidal. It just seems too obvious because they don't play as a natural. No. They don't play as three up against three centre halves. They're all over the place. So I think it's a bit and they've too. Not three, they've not got three. They've got two centre half. They've got one centre half. They could so play. I mean, they could play Twan, Twanzibi with Lindelof and Maguire. Yeah. But I would consider perhaps playing Twanzibi in midfield. Yeah. As a defensive midfield role, giving McTominay a little bit more license to get forward, more of a box to box role, and then Twanzibi can drop in defensively when required. He can pick up Firmino if Firmino drops back. So just having someone with that defensive intelligence to play that midfield role, he's good on the ball. Who's your attacking midfielder in that? Um, that's the dilemma. That's the other dilemma. Jay Lings? Well, if, if, he's, if, if he is fit, which remains to be seen, I that, that was my suggestion, Lingard. Yeah. An unpopular suggestion, obviously, but I've, I've always been of the opinion that that's his best position. It's yeah. playing as an attacking midfielder in, in a three... Yet for years, he's he's either a right winger when he's not a right winger, he's a playmaker when he's not a playmaker. Um, he, I think Roy Keane touched upon it in the week when he's talking about Barclays. If you get to a certain age and you still don't know what their best position is, something's fundamentally wrong there. And that is the case with Lingard. But I think two and Zeebe just has to start because he's the quickest centre-back and you're coming up against Salah, uh, Firmino and, and Mane who to varying degrees of speed are quick Lindelof isn't Maguire isn't so if, if he can get back deeper and he's able to you know get, get on to one of those three then it just makes fundamental sense and and also I just think he's been playing pretty well recently that that he deserves to play um, it was it was a really really bad decision to move him out of central defence yeah. against Newcastle when it was unnecessary Dallow's injured fair enough Rojo comes on but I just thought Young will go to right back and Rojo goes to left back and you keep the centre-halves there. I think Ferguson once said that. He said, you do not break up your central defensive yeah, partnership yeah. during the match unless it's it's enforced. Yeah, yeah. And I was really surprised that they did that and then it kind of contributed to the chaos that ensued when Newcastle got the ball up the other end and, and Longstaff scored. So I think James Marshall, Rashford, has to be the front three. I don't think four two three one is the right is, is the right formation with United, with or without Pogba, fully fit squad or depleted squad. Um, but if Lincard is not fit, you unfortunately for United they have to play 
Matic or Pereira or Fred or not unfortunately, but James Garner. But I, you know, I suppose it's worth a try. I mean, he's from Bir- from Birkenhead. You can play on the the local angle like the Longstaffs <laughs> did the other week. <laughs> Again, United, you know, acting like a relegation side. But I suppose that's kind of a reflection of where they are at the yeah. moment. Prediction, Ty. Uh, nil nil. Wow, what that I mean? Yeah, that's the bit. It, is, it, is, a, it is. a Was it Red Monday or something they called it a few years ago? Was it the one when Pogba oh, was, was emoji? An atrocious was, game, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the one at Anfield. It was called like Red Monday. It was Red Monday or something. Pogba's yeah, emoji just been released. Oh nil. yes, no, that was, was that was, was that the one-one game when he gave away a penalty and missed a one-on-one. Had one of his. Was it? Was that Red Monday? That was the Sunday game when. Ibrahim was, know, there was, it was the Monday night football there was a red, there was a red nil, Monday nil, one which was 0-0 and, it was nil, nil, and I think diabolical game the only two it? good things in it I think were De Gea's save from Coutinho and an Antonio Valencia tackle on Firmino it might have been he put some sliding tackle when a tackle's in the top two yeah. 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 it was one of the worst games of all time not just a tackle but an Antonio Valencia tackle <laughs> yeah. as well next year time he crossed it with his left foot as well yeah. but uh, who knows about that but yeah we will be back next week to reflect on whatever happened at Old Trafford on the weekend and we will preview the Europa League classic away against Partizan Belgrade. Tyrone, Samuel, thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you. Today on the Manchester is Red podcast. Please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already and we will see you again next week.